Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 327 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited with this episode to bring you another Q&A with the athlete I coach and running influencer, Nicole Winter. You can follow her on Instagram on either of her, of her accounts. She's got two, her running account at Nicole M. Runs and her strength training account at Nicole M. Winter underscore. So go check out those accounts. I did a live Q&A with her and her followers this week, and I want to share that with you guys because I thought there were a lot of great questions from that, as there always are from her followers. Instead of doing pre-collected questions, we decided to do live questions. So we got the followers that joined her on the live to actually ask, and we answered those as we went. And as always, those were great questions, and I'm excited to bring this conversation with Nicole and her followers to you on my podcast. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we start, wanted to quickly give a shout out to my sponsor for this episode, Run Jonji. Jonji Running Apparel is quickly becoming my favorite running apparel and has been partnering with me now for about four months. And I've got a code for you so you can check them out too. We'll talk about that mid episode. So stay tuned. But with that, we'll jump right in with my conversation with Nicole and her followers. Here we go. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I unfortunately have like bots trying to also invite themselves to join the live. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid anything scary from happening. Um, well, hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Do the usual so that people know who you are? Yeah. My name is Coach Chris McClung. I have been working with you, Nicole, for two years now. Mm-hmm. Helped get you ready for your first marathon in Houston and helped you qualify for Boston in Eugene in April. And now we're gearing up for Chicago. So that's how we know each other. And then I'm the owner and a coach at Rogue Running, which is an in-person group in Austin and Dallas. And we have virtual runners that we coach literally all over the world. So there's a lot of ways to connect to us. I also have a podcast called Running Rogue. So if you're wanting more than 300 episodes on all sorts of coaching topics, then you can go look for that as well, wherever you get your podcasts. I just listened to your recent episode with James on separating your identity from your run times and all of that. And I thought that was a really good episode. Um, was that your most recent one or is there another one? Yes, yeah, okay. that's the most recent. Okay, cool. Um, wow, it's crazy to think back that this has been two years since I started training for Houston. That was around Labor Day. Yeah. It is Speaking great. of, you'll be kicking off Houston. We already have questions coming in, so we can keep this rundown shorter. But yeah, let's talk about what you're doing right now, and then we can go into the questions. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I also run myself, so I, I think it's an important part of coaching is having your own goal journeys. So gearing up for Houston myself in 2024, January, going for the marathon this time, hoping to PR in the marathon when I race in January. And so really starting to ramp up my own training, my own marathon specific training now. Mm -hmm. And of course, also coaching a lot of people on the, along the way as well. We always have a big group in Houston. Yeah. So when do you do your speed workouts then? Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah. So I run with a rogue group here that we call team rogue that meets tuesday and thursday mornings at 5 30 a.m so that's the crew that i usually do my workouts with gotcha it's always interesting now that you're running more seeing like your training and how you're able to fit it in with also training us on wednesdays 
um, which is really cool. Um, I will be at Houston, maybe running half. We'll see. Um, but do we want to get into the questions? I feel like I'm already losing where they started. Um, yeah, let's jump in. Okay. A lot of questions about eating, um, which I don't want to do it like what I eat in a day. Um, but do you have any, maybe like if you could give like your top tips on nutrition during the run and kind of your thoughts on like, like carb loading and things like that, maybe we could just kind of generalize some of these questions here. Yeah. So obviously if you're training for a half marathon or a marathon in run nutrition becomes really important, particularly as races get beyond 90 minutes to two hours. The body only carries so much glycogen on board, which is our basically carb-based fueling that we're using. And obviously we can tap into fat stores as well, but the harder you're going, the higher your intensity, the more you need that quick fuel in the form of carbs to really sustain those faster efforts. And so that means typically you have to supplement while you're doing your runs. And for most people, that looks like taking something along the way. And there's a couple of different pathways that you can choose. And then it becomes a really important experimental you know, process to figure out what works for you because everybody's going to like different pathways and like different flavors or different products or different modalities for taking some of this stuff in. So then you really have to test it out and figure out what works for you. But there's kind of two general pathways. One is the sugar, the sort of pure sugar pathway, which I would consider the most common pathway. It's when you're taking gels or chews and you're doing it at a certain frequency in order to just directly replace those sugars. So in most common gel brand is goo, but there's obviously a lot of them out there. I know you use Huma, there's Morton, there's a lot of different options. The typical starting point for those that are taking that pathway that I recommend is to start by taking a serving at one hour into your run and then coming back to it every 35 to 40 minutes. Because once you take in the sugar, then your insulin spikes, your blood sugar spikes, and eventually you'll hit a trough unless you continue to take more. And so every 35 to 40 minutes after that, you need to come back to it with another serving, whether that be a gel or another serving of, of chews. And then once you've figured out you know, what general timing works for for you, then it's just a matter of figuring out flavors and brands and, and what works for you from that perspective. You know, Huma is one that you use. I like that one. And it tends to work for a lot of people because it's a more, I would say, natural product. It's fruit puree, a little bit of pure cane sugar, chia. It's all things you can recognize, but obviously there's a lot of options there from that perspective. And some people prefer the gummies, in which case, you know, Scratch has good gummies, Honey Stinger has good gummies. Uh, cliff shots, blocks, you know, so there's just a lot of options and you have to experiment. So that's one pathway. And once you figure out what works for you, then I would say stick with it. The other pathway, which is actually a pathway that I use is, is sort of a slower burning carb. There's a product called UCAN, U-C-A-N, that is a cornstarch based product that gives you a slower burn. And so you can do, you can actually take it now a couple of different ways. You can either do it via a pre-run shake uh, which you usually want to take about 30 minutes before. And then it gives you about two to three hours worth of energy, depending on the person. And so that means that you have to then start your gel supplementation later in the run. 
or they now have their own gel packets. And so you can actually take those as an option as well if, if the shake doesn't work for you, which it doesn't for everybody because it is a little bit of an acquired taste. That it does is a not bit, work for me. <laughs> the, the, the texture isn't great, but it works for me. And and so then, you know, that's my primary modality. And then oftentimes people will then start their gels later. And so you can either then take a you can gel later or you can switch to a sugar product later, but it would be at two hours or two and a half hours, perhaps, instead of doing it at one hour, in which case then you have to carry less when you're out there. Mm-hmm. And so those are a couple of potential pathways that you would you would consider and then you pick the one that works for you and you have to experiment to perhaps find the the right perfect option for you but usually those are good starting points well um and somebody asked specifically like what is the best food for running for your stomach but what's like your general i guess like you always tell me this before a race in race week like not to do anything different so i guess maybe give like your thoughts on that yeah in general with diet around your runs, I encourage people to pick the foods that don't mess with their stomach, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you're eating the night before a long run or the night before a race, pick things that are going to, you know, digest well, that are going to go easy on the stomach. You don't necessarily have to carb load before a long run or before a race, because it actually doesn't work unless you're doing a, a, a longer protocol, which is typically a seven-day protocol. So typically, I don't recommend people even worry about that. Instead, just eat normal foods that are not going to mess with your stomach that you can have, and you know that you'll wake up the next day and not, you know, have issues. Of course, you might have one-off issues that happens, but you know, if you want to, you want to create as much predictability as possible, and then it becomes a matter of well, what what's good for you. And the same with a pre-morning or a morning or pre-run breakfast. Again, choosing something that's two to 400 calories, that's easy on the stomach, that's going to digest well. And you may have to experiment a little bit to find that. Personally, night, the night before, I'm big on rice and chicken and vegetables, just a really basic type dinner like that. Mm-hmm. And then pre-run, I'm really big for me on dry cereal. Like I will just eat dry cereal in handfuls, mm. you know, which works for me. <laughs> but I also know people prefer toast or waffles or maybe a banana with peanut butter. There's obviously different options there, but you want something that's, you know, pre-run that is mostly carb-based, perhaps with a little bit of protein, but you know, just won't mess with you because you yeah. don't need a lot. But I will say that pre-run a little bit of calories is important because what it does is it signals to your body that everything is okay and normal. And yeah. so that it, it can then go into normal fuel burning mode. If you're being restrictive, then the body goes into a little bit of flight or fight mode. And so it might actually slow down your metabolism or slow down access to those fuel stores because it doesn't know when the next meal is coming. And so you want to give it just that little bit of food so that the body says, okay, we're good. We're going to get more food. We're going into a hard effort, but I don't need to conserve. And so now I can fully give you access to all of those stored fuels that you have. And so Mm -hmm. that's essentially what that little priming meal does before. I also feel like I was somebody who could never eat before a run. And I just told myself that to be true. And then I finally started testing out different things. And I feel so much better. It like directly affects your performance, I feel. But my mouth got dry the second you said dry cereal. Like that made me thirsty. <laughs> and I will say there, you know, there are some cases in some people, depending on what they might be facing, you know, with their digestive system where they might have 
you know, issues. And in some rare cases, I do recommend people not eat before if they've tried, you know, a bunch of different things and nothing's working and they're continuing to have issues. There are some cases where I recommend people not as a last resort, and then that may work for them. Mm -hmm. But that's, again, a part of the experimentation process is figuring out exactly, you know, what works for you. Right. Um, okay, cool. Do you want to pick or do you see a question that stuck out to you? So I've got one here f about down weeks. Okay. So how much you should reduce mileage during a down week, okay. which I think is a good question. So just to give context on down weeks, you know, this is a concept that I think you'll see in a bunch of different programs, but typically in our programming, we like to do down weeks every third week. So you do two weeks where you're either building or you're up with higher intensity workouts and more volume. And then you do a week that's a down week where you're still doing a workout, but it might be lower intensity and you're dropping the mileage a little bit. The range can vary for that, but typically what I recommend is that people drop their volume by 15 to 20% during a down week, because what that's allowing you to do is it's putting you into a recovery mode so that you've had those two weeks of building and it's all a part of that stress rest cycle you've had two weeks of building and then you take the down week you reduce volume so that the body can then catch up essentially recover as well as consolidate the fitness gains from the up weeks so that you can then build again so we only really build fitness during our recovery periods and so that's taking the recovery concept to a full week but it's really important that you maintain your routine during that week i highly encourage people if at all possible, to maintain the normal days that they would run so that the body doesn't freak out from that perspective, but that you just reduce volume on those days. And typically, for most people, those bigger volume drops are going to come out of the long run and perhaps the medium long run. And so for, for the down weeks, I might have somebody drop four to eight miles from their long run and drop typically two miles from their medium long run while keeping the other days the same. And that's usually a good way to get to that 15 to 20% drop. But I always give athletes discretion if they're feeling particularly run down to take more than that if, it, that if needed. So still get the runs in, but maybe drop some of the volume as well on the recovery days. The other thing to remember about down weeks is that even though you're thinking, wow, I've got you know, less volume this week, I should feel amazing. Often that's not true, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes during down weeks, I find that we feel a little bit sluggish because the body is, get, again, it kind of goes into that recovery mode. And just like sometimes you feel sluggish during a taper, you feel sluggish on down weeks sometimes as well because the body's reorienting itself. It's, recover, it's in recovery mode. It's consolidating those fitness gains. So it's doing a lot of work to repair your body. And so your runs are often sluggish during that week. That is not something to be alarmed about. Just slow down, take it easy, get the runs in. And usually by the up week, by the time the up week rolls around, you feel good again. Mm -hmm. I would agree that first week back after the down week is always the best. And I remember on my first marathon schedule with you, I didn't know down weeks were a thing. So I was like, I think you have a typo on my schedule. Um, but those down weeks are a game changer. Um, okay. We have a question from a girl who actually just Boston qualified named Andrea. Um, Last weekend, she's asking tips for getting faster marathon times is higher mileage or more speed training more effective? 
So good question. And unfortunately, the answer is it very much depends on Mm -hmm. the individual. I would say in general, if I had to pick for most people, especially those that may have come to running later in life, usually the volume is going to be the most important element. Because as I've talked about, I think on one of these lives before, you know, the most important element to improving your running long term is building aerobic capacity. We build aerobic capacity primarily by doing more easy volume over time, starting wherever you are, and then ideally building that gradually in a way that's safe and comfortable. And so most people are going to get the most bang for their buck from increasing their volume. Because use a car analogy, that's like building the size of your engine. That's adding cylinders to your engine. You've got cars with four-cylinder engines. You've got cars with eight-cylinder engines. We want everybody to have eight or more cylinders. And you add cylinders to your engine by running easy and running more. When we run faster, we fine-tune the engine that we have. And so for the most part, you want to have a big engine that might be a little less fine-tuned than a really revved-up four-cylinder. A V8 is going to beat that every time. And so that's the general sequence is that mileage is going to be more important than speed work. That being said, we always want to make sure that you're staying connected to your speed. And so that's why we do speed throughout even a base training cycle or a marathon cycle. That's also why I always recommend that if you're into half marathons or marathons, that you don't become one dimensional and just do those distances. You have to drop down periodically and do 5K and 10K training which by the way, might still include volume and miles, but we'll have workouts that are more geared towards raw speed. And so you have to, over time, make sure you're working both elements so that you don't want become one dimensional. And if you become one dimensional, then ultimately you're on your path towards a plateau. And my goal for all of my athletes is to take a long-term view that allows them to continue to build towards PRs for 10 years, 15 years, sometimes even 20 years, if you're continuing to balance things and do both things. Cool. Don't remind me that I have to run a 5K eventually. <laughs> yes, um, because you've been, you have been neglecting that, Nicole. It's okay. Especially, it especially, if, especially if you want to get to the goals that we've talked about. Yeah, one day. Um, we'll get through it next April and then we can talk about it. Um, okay, your turn. Do you, so, yes. can, you, can you scroll on the questions? I can. Okay. And- but okay. I had one that I want to get to that okay. I saw earlier and I actually just found it. We had a question that is, how do I feel confident about my first marathon when I've only run 32 kilometers once maximum? Do you know and 32 so, kilometers off the top of your head in miles? Yes. It's just under 20 miles. Okay. So 30 kilometers is 18.6. So okay. 32 is going to be 19.8 roughly. So I have, I have that, I have that the yeah. coaching math in my head, but this is a great question because it's a common question for first time marathoners, because I'm never going to write a schedule where you do 26 miles in training to prepare for 26 miles. I do think it's important to do the 20 mile runs, the 32 K runs, if we're talking about the metric system, but you're not doing 26 miles. And so how can you be confident that you can then cover 26.2 miles? And there's a couple of ways to think about that. One way I like to think about it is to use a puzzle analogy. When you're putting a puzzle together and you're trying to create one image, 
you have a bunch of different pieces that you're assembling in order to create that image and all of those pieces look a little bit different and so there's different components to the bigger puzzle and with our training the same is true we're trying to build a puzzle that creates one beautiful picture but it has a bunch of different components and all of those components are important to make that bigger picture and for training that's going to look like running consistent volume throughout the week that's going to look like long runs that's going to look like medium long runs that's look going to look like speed work all of those elements are important elements to build the puzzle which is going to be that completion of 26.2 miles and so we have to make sure we're working all of those pieces in order to give you the components you need to be able to sustain that pace that you're targeting for 26 miles so that's sort of one way to think about it another way to think about it in the context context of how we operate in training is that when you're running 20 miles under a program that I write, I'm having you do that 20 mile run typically at paces that are a minute to two minutes slower than your target marathon pace. And so while you're not running 26 miles in training, you might get a similar time on your feet doing 20 miles or at least close to it that you will end up having for race day when you're running a faster pace. And so when we're building all of those components, we're also building this time on your feet component of the equation that won't equate necessarily from a pure mileage standpoint, but from a time perspective, we get pretty close. And so again, that's a way to build that skill set without having necessarily run 26 miles. And then, you know, when we get to race day, we put it all together. The other way I like to tell people to build confidence here is that you know with a program like ours with a program that you might pull elsewhere or with other coaches you're not on a dirt road or a single track you're on a very well paved highway you know as, as road running we've been doing this for 19 years we just mm -hmm. had our 19th birthday we've had literally thousands of runners go through our programming and all of them at a huge variety of paces with all backgrounds with all starting points and been able to cross that finish line successfully. And so you're you're on a paved path. This is not a one tiny little single track dirt road. So you can also look at others in our programming or others in the programming you choose and say, hey, if they can do it, I can too. And so that's another way I tell people to build confidence. That was like the first thing I asked you before I ran Houston. Um, and to spin on that, somebody also was talking about how they see other people go above 20 miles, but her plan only goes up to 20 miles. So can you kind of tack on to that question, like why you maybe stop at 20 and why I, for example, will have a 22 mile long run? Yeah, typically with first time marathoners, I stop at 20 because we're already giving them a lot of stimulus. I also might have a first time marathoner do three or four 20 mile runs in their program so that they're getting a lot of that stimulus and when they're doing that for the first time we have to be a little bit cautious about it and again because they're doing it at slower paces the time on your feet is going to be close to what we end up targeting for the marathon as someone gets more experienced or if someone comes to me with perhaps more experience at the half marathon distance where they're doing higher volumes i might have them do 22 mile runs as well as a part of it because again you're just getting a little bit of that incremental time in your feet as well as incremental volume under your under your legs without without doing too much without getting too close to that 26 mile threshold and so for that experienced marathoner i will work in potentially a couple of 22 mile runs in addition to a steady diet of 20 mile runs but I think in general, 
that's my determining factor for when to include that 22 mile run is just purely experience. All right, quickly going to take a break from the Q&A to talk about my sponsor for this episode, John G. They are my running apparel partner and I'm loving their gear. One of the things I've gotten questions about is sizing with their gear. And what I would say is generally their pieces fit true to size. If you like a not tight, but snugger fit, you know, a fitted fit for for running. If you want something loose, then I would consider sizing up a size. So I actually have, personally, I actually have, I'm typically a medium, but I actually have both sizes, medium and large for the pieces that I wear more casually. I've gone with a large, so I want a looser fit. And for my running pieces, I'm wearing the medium because I like things to be more fitted when I'm actually doing the activity of running, but I've got both options. And so that that's one way to think about it. If you are ordering with them and I would highly encourage you to check out their pieces. They've got a lot of new fall stuff coming out as we speak. And of course, I wanted to remind you that 2% of all revenue goes towards their clean water projects all around the world. And of course, they're supporting artists by sharing their designs and telling their stories through their apparel. So go check it out. It's beautiful as well as functional. You can use my offer code to get 15% off by using the code ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5. That's R-O-G-U-E-1-5, ROGUE15 for 15% off your order at runjohng.com. So go check it out. All right, back to my conversation with Nicole. Um, and then I'm seeing some questions come in about strength training. One specifically, um, when I do like workouts that usually can't run for days after, what should I do? So maybe kind of walk us through like the strength portion of marathon training and what you suggest. Yes. You know, number one, strength is absolutely important to being your best running self. I would say that it, you know, for a newer runner who isn't also doing strength, don't just suddenly jump in and do both at full force because you want to make sure that you phase it in a way that makes sense for your body so that's not overwhelmed. And we typically can't add more stimulus at once. But somebody who's already established a running routine who's looking to to build or somebody who already has strength who's adding running, absolutely the two things can work together to help you become a better version of you. And the typical routine that I recommend for that is not more than two times a week for most people. I know an athlete like you who's a strength coach as well is doing more than that up to three times a week. But for most people, you can get a lot out of just two times a week, 30 to 40 minutes, really focused on lower body, single leg work, as well as obviously core strength. And there's really, you know, you could isolate up five or six exercises if somebody is just starting out that could be a sufficient routine to make a big difference. If someone is struggling to get their runs in after a strength workout, then to me, that's a sign that they're probably taking their strength workouts, at least for this period of time, too hard. You're doing too much volume because when you're trying to do both, it has to be sustainable that you do both. And so mm -hmm. you may have to pull back on either the number of reps you're doing or perhaps the total weight that you're doing in order that you don't wake up completely debilitated the next day and then you can go get your runs in. The other thing to note is that I like to time them if at all possible so that our harder strength days are matched with our harder run days. And if you're training for running and you're focused on running, that you would do the run first, then a strength workout. Mm -hmm. And then you would have a day of recovery in between where you're running, but where you're not then maxing out as well on the strength perspective. So for me, I do my workouts 
typically Tuesdays. And then I have a strength run, a strength workout at lunch that day after the run. And then I'll do my medium long run Thursdays and do a strength workout after that so that my recovery days can be purely focused on recovery. So that's another way to potentially match things up so that you can then balance it out in a way that's going to be sustainable. But from my personal experience and from coaching, if you're too sore after strength and you have running goals, then that means you're probably taking your strength workouts too hard. I think people often forget too that you can do a body weight strength workout and that still counts. And today, for example, after our speed workout, I could not lift nearly as heavy as what I normally can. So it's okay to adjust accordingly. Yeah. And just to give another example, yesterday I did a strength workout with a trainer that I work with. And we were doing, we've been working on for this phase of my training, heavy weights for deadlifts, for example. So I'm doing three reps at a high percentage of my max for three sets. And so that's very heavy weight but only three reps. I, I wasn't sore this morning because you know, we were balancing appropriately, but I did my recovery run probably slower than I have in a while mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. that strength workout yesterday. But I had that flexibility because my recovery run, run wasn't about any particular pace. It was more about creating that movement, which creates blood flow, which helps heal. Right. And so if you can balance things that way, then it should all fit together. But if you're not able to balance it then that means something has to give either the weight the number of reps or maybe you need to slow down your running Mm -hmm. okay cool do you want to pick one more question so let's see so this is a marathon question but kind of gets the volume as well how do i know if i'm running enough mileage per week for marathon Mm -hmm. training i'll broaden that to say for any distance i'm injury prone to just being really careful in the 25 to 30 mile range is that okay so there's a lot to unpack here. The first thing I want to unpack is that I get I have people come to me a lot. And again, we have a pretty rigorous program and they'll tell me I can't run a certain number of days a week or I can't run certain volume. Typically, when somebody tells me that, and this isn't every case, but typically when somebody tells me that, it means they're going too fast at some part of their training or perhaps all the time. Because in my coaching experience, I can count on probably two fingers the number of people I haven't been able to get to at least five days of running a week, sometimes six, and at least 40 to 50 miles a week of volume. I can count on two fingers the number of cases where that's true. So it's a pretty rare exception by simply making sure that you're running easy enough when you should be running easy. And I had a conversation last week with a runner who mentioned this idea that those recovery runs in between are actually the glue that makes it all fit together. And I think that's a good analogy. Like if you're going easy enough on your recovery days, then that actually helps you stay healthy for, for more volume because it gives you that easy movement, which creates blood flow, which allows you to heal. And so my first answer here would be, I I would actually question your premise. Like I would bet that if you balance the pace as well, and you're going easy enough on those recovery runs, and then we can get you not only to more days, but also to more distance. But now taking it to a specific application to different race distances, I like to get my marathoners to at least 40 miles a week in general. And I think if you're not doing that, then it's most likely that you should establish that type of consistency first 
at a lower distance that's more sustainable for you until you go to the marathon or until you try to strive for time in the marathon so that you can establish that foundation because doing 20 mile runs doing higher volume it's hard on your body we need to make sure that you're resilient for that and so i would submit that i would want you to first build the volume maybe do some half marathons instead and then establish that 40 plus mile a week and then go to the marathon that would be my sequence of things but as a part of that you want to make sure again that you're going easy enough when you're supposed to go easy for the half marathon and lower i think we can get away with i like at least 30 miles a week typically in order to make that sustainable and healthy for a half marathon or, or below distance but even then i'm hoping to get them up to 40 miles a week typically to to really establish that pure potential because volume does matter it's important as i said it's the number one thing you can do to improve mm-hmm. and most people can do it if they're willing to slow down on those recovery days and slow down on their long runs if they're not trying to run race pace all the time mm-hmm. yeah that's tbt to when i was running 16 miles for a half marathon <laughs> and look people do it there's nothing wrong with it i'm not saying that you know, it's not possible or they can't do it. But I'm just saying that if we balance things the right way, then you can get to more volume than you think you mm-hmm. could. You can actually do it in a healthy way. And then you can ultimately reach to higher heights, to bigger goals than you ever thought possible. And most people get this story in their head that they can't. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. You know, I can't do more than the next miles. I can't run more the next days. And the fact is, again, in my experience as a coach of thousands of runners, that's just simply not true. That just means you're doing something wrong along the way. That's no, there's no judgment on that, but it just means you need to slow down. You need to balance things in a different way. You need perhaps a coach who can help you identify those areas where you're making mistakes, and then you're going to be able to break through those storylines in your head. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's running 25 to 30 miles a week for a marathon, are they just doing maybe three days, like one long run? I'm like trying. Trying to make that make sense, not in a negative yeah, I've, I've, way. I'm uh, yeah, I mean, I've certainly, I've certainly seen that. You know, I know Runners World at one point put out our Run Less, Run Faster program that was three days a week, a okay. long run, a speed workout, and then another. I mean, I think it was a lot of quality. I think another sort of tempo oriented day, and and okay. it's a much longer lie for me to debunk the reasons yeah. why that's a smart way to do it. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway. But yes, people do it. There are programs out there, but that's not how, that's not my approach, not what I recommend. Okay. All right, cool. Um, do you have time for one more? Sure. Like there's a lot we didn't get through, except I don't have one picked out. Did you see any that looked good? Well, let me scroll um, here. Oh, I have one. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Well, I guess we kind of already answered this, but should you ever do a long run at marathon pace? So again, we'll try to broaden it to, you know, race pace in general. The answer is you should not do a complete long run at marathon pace or at half marathon pace or at 10K pace if you're doing a 10K. The answer is no, because it's too much. So it's too much. And also with the marathon specifically, marathon pace is actually in a physiological development no man's land so to speak it's not actually a pace that equates to any sort of aerobic development zone 
it's sort of stuck in between developing aerobic strength and building aerobic capacity. And it actually ends up being an unproductive physiological zone, except for the idea that you do need to practice marathon pace in order to be able to dial into it, in order to build confidence at that pace, and in order to, at some level, develop the neuromuscular memory in order to recreate that pace. But we can do that much safe in a much safer way while also allowing you to you know, make sure you are hitting some other zones in a long run where you're getting that in smaller doses. And so for the marathon or the half, we'll do marathon pace runs where you're doing it for a subset of the long run, but for not the entire long run. And so to give some examples for the marathon, you know, the first workout that I wrote for those doing marathon pace in a long run for this summer was three to four times two miles at marathon pace in the middle of the run with a half mile easy in between. I like two mile segments in the summer because it's hot. So you're not having to sustain it as long. And, but I like to get up to six to eight miles typically. Sometimes I'll write it as two mile segments. Sometimes it's three mile segments. The one that you just did this past weekend was. Yeah, I was going to say, where was I when that workout happened? Because I didn't like the one was, that I had. To was it was an in and out workout where you were doing 25 minute segments, mm-hmm. alternating one minute at 10K effort and four minutes at marathon pace in and out for 25 minutes. So one, four, one, four, one, four for 25 minutes, then five minutes easy. And then another 25 minutes like that, that type of run is a little bit different. It does a couple of things. One, it helps you learn that you can actually recover at marathon pace. So you have those mm-hmm. one minute segments where you're like, oh, this is hard. You know, how am I going to sustain this? Then you get into four minutes at marathon pace. and You're like, oh, this feels easy. This feels great. And so it actually gives you that confidence to be able mm-hmm. to recover and feel comfortable at marathon pace. It also requires you to consistently have to dial back into marathon pace in those short, short, short increments so that you have to practice that component. So that you have to practice getting back to that pace so that when you need to dial into it, you can. Mm -hmm. You have that ability to get there quickly. And so you have to repeat that 10 times in that workout where you're having to dial back into marathon pace, which is just more attempts to practicing what that feels like to to feel that pace out and get comfortable there. So that's another sample. I've got a whole library of those workouts that I like to give. And obviously I have ones that are tailored to the half. But again, mm-hmm. only in small doses inside of the run. Typically, I don't like people doing more than eight to 10 miles, you know, a marathon type pace work or faster inside a long run. And if somebody tells me they're doing an entire marathon long run at marathon pace, then usually I worry yeah. because, yeah, that's, that's too much from my perspective. And it also gives you. You, it kind of gives you false confidence, to be honest, because you're like, well, I can do that. I can do that. So I can hold it for 26. And the answer is just actually no, because that mm-hmm. means you've sacrificed to do that run. You've actually sacrificed some of the other pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to build. And so you're going to be missing some pieces of the puzzle when you get to race day. So don't do that. I can just feel my injuries flaring when I imagine doing right. a full. But it's a good question. It's a good question because yeah. I understand the mindset that people think. They're like, well, if I just do more and more distance at that pace, then I'm going to be able to do it on race day. And 
the facts of the matter is it's just not true simply because that isn't a piece of the puzzle that we're trying to build. Right. Um, sorry, now I'm getting distracted. We have more questions coming in that we won't have time to answer, but that brings me to how can people find you and yeah. contact you about coaching, et cetera. Well, first of all, I just want to say great questions. I mean, whenever I come on, yeah. you always have good questions from your question box. I mean, we did it this way because we knew we always get good questions during the lives. And so I'm glad yeah, we thank did it this you. way. And thank you all for the, for the great <laughs> questions. And we'll do it this way more often because they always yeah. roll, in, roll in so well. Yeah, I think we so, should. So thank you for that. But in terms of finding us, and if you want more questions answered, then a couple of different ways. One, one is... You can go to our website, roguerunning.com, where all of our program is featured, including our Austin and Dallas in-person groups, but also our virtual groups. We have virtual group options, including a new virtual group option that we haven't even technically opened yet, but it is open to the public, which is an option, a virtual group option that's more geared towards that newer half marathoner or newer marathoner who's trying to build their volume and experience. Versus our current virtual group, which is more geared towards those that have a little bit of experience already. So if that's you, we've got a virtual group option for you. We also have virtual one-to-one training. So if you want a a paint-by-numbers customized-to-you program, then we have that option as well. And so you can find that on our site. You can also just email me, chris at roguerunning.com, if you have questions, or DM me on Instagram, at roguechris. So those are ways to tap directly into our programming. And then, of course, if you just want to learn a bunch of general coaching tips and knowledge, you can go to my podcast, Running Rogue, which is on an Apple Podcasts as well as all the various podcast options wherever you get that. And I've got 320 plus episodes on pretty much every topic that you can cover. And if you can't find something there that you're looking for, then just email me and I'll point you in the right direction. Or about I'll give you a new idea for a new episode. <laughs> yes. If it's not already answered. Yeah. Um, okay. Amazing. Well, yeah. Thank you everyone for answering such good or for asking such good questions. I wish we could get to all of them. Um, but I think it's fair that we do it this way because then the people who are actually live get their questions answered versus people who will submit something and then not show up to the live. So this was great. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll see y'all next time. Thanks. Cool. Uh, all right. See you later. Bye. So there you go, my Q&A with Nicole. Thanks to all of her followers for all the great questions. And of course, thanks to her for having me on her account. Always enjoy it. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.